I have one more uh, prayer request that came to me yesterday that I failed to get get to Rick this morning. Um, I don't know if you all know this, but um, Tanner Crum is the campus, the RUF campus minister at. Auburn University. Uh, he's got one wife, two two kids. Um, their house burned down uh, on Friday night. They're all okay. Um, there's every everyone's safe, but it looks like a total loss of all their stuff. So um, we just need to be praying for them. Um, lots of support from the local churches, um, but you know anybody who's endured something like that. It's just devastating. And so um, I would like to pray for them. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for um, uh, RUF and for those who serve. And we pray you'd be especially be with uh, Tanner and Kelsey Crum and their children. Um, Lord, restore them. May they feel your love as they mourn the loss of the things that they've had and possibly, you know, mementos and, and, and items that mean a lot to them. Lord, just be with them in their mourning and their hurt, but, but Lord, show your grace and mercy through your church, through through friends and family, and Lord, help, help them to feel your love, your presence, and help uh, in this time of, of hurt and need. So be with them. Uh, encourage them by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all right. If you would, turn with me to James chapter 4, continuing our study of this wonderful letter. Um, and so I just want to start out by doing just a little bit of a, um, a review, if I could. Um, we, uh, we learn in uh, chapter 1, 26-27, the, really the structure of the letter of the how what he speaks to uh, he tells us what it means to be more not just hearers of the word but doers of the word of God and um, what we've seen throughout this book from chapter two on is uh, him hitting these three points that uh, a Christian is to be one who bridles his tongue visits orphans and widows and keeps oneself unstained from the world or as another theologian put it uh, has a, a Christian has a controlled tongue, a caring ministry, and a holy life. And we've looked at those first two as we've moved through James. So we're in that third section. What does it mean to keep oneself unstained from the world or to live a holy life? Uh, we, it started in chapter 3, verse 13, where James talks about showing our works in the meekness of wisdom. And then in chapter 4, James closes in on the, the one true reason for conflict and quarrels in our lives. Not just out there, but in here, in the body of Christ. And it's, the problem is not them, the problem is us, it's me. Um, more specifically, it's our sinful passions, our over-desiring. That's what causes, it's my sin, my, my fallenness, my sinful passions that causes quarrels and fights in the body of Christ. Our sin is apparent in all kinds of ways, even our view of time, circumstances, and the purpose of life. Um, and that's really what this text gets at. That our, our sinful passions are over-desiring can, can skew and affect our view of circumstances and the purpose of our life and who's in control of our life. So, with that said, let's read 
um, this passage. This is chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. And before we do so, let me, let me pray again. Lord God, we, we're thankful for your word, for its clarity, uh, for its fullness, for its accuracy, that there is nothing untrue in it, and you have spoke... You, this is your word spoken by prophets and apostles given to us. And we thank you now that we can hear you speak into our lives. Help us to hear it that way. To hear that this is the word of life. That this is a word of love. That you are interceding, speaking into our lives. Lord, may we be convicted. But also, Lord, may we turn to you in that conviction. In that realization of our sin. And see you more clearly. And, and run to you for help in time of need. Lord, do that for us, to us, in this hour, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, some of you, um, some of you are planners. Some of you are free spirits. Um, I, I, I know we have a good representation of both because I've gotten to know a lot of you. Um, some of you are kind of free spirits, kind of live and kind of. Let life happen as you go. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you're not anxious about the future. You can be a free spirit and kind of be with the flow, but still worry and be anxious about those things, about what's coming up. Um, some of you spend your time um, just really freaking out because you can't anticipate what's going to come next. Uh, you're not a good planner, and sometimes it really, it really, uh, it really uh, shows, and it really uh, can stifle your productivity. Um, some of you think about life, think about uh, being an adult. Some of us are in here are adults. You know, it's a, it's a weird thing. You know, you never get to a point where you feel like an adult. It's just like I've got a lot of stuff to do. I guess I'm an adult. And it's all, I, I, people are counting on me. Um, but there's no, like, if you're a young person, teenager, there's no, like, time where you go, oh, I'm an adult. You just wake up, I'm like, yeah, I, I have my life together. It doesn't happen. Anyway, and, um, but uh, you, you might be thinking, shouldn't I have it more together by now? Uh, and some of us, because we're not planners, instead of doing the tasks before us, uh, we, we begin to just put things off. Uh, maybe you pass the time by writing down plans or trying to come up with what you're going to do next week or next year. Um, and uh, you sketch out a five-year plan, a ten-year plan, or uh, what you want to have done by retirement. And you might even make some adjustments due to the fact that you're clearly not going to get anything done today because you're worried about tomorrow. 
Some of you in here, though, have had a plan since you were in high school. You, you even maybe laminated it, and you are on schedule. Like you, you, this is the, you graduated here, you went to this college, you're doing this job, you married this person with these qualities, and it's just, you're just doing it. Um, and you don't, you're, you've got the plan, you've got this focus of what you're there to do, and nothing's going to get in the way of that. All must work toward the completion of that goal. The right major, the right job, the right salary, the right relationship, the right life. But if you're either one of these people, whether you're worried because you don't have a plan or you've got a plan and it has to go just right, this morning's text speaks against this kind of thinking. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's not good to plan. It's not good to be responsible. But if we're living life like we're in control, if we're living life like we've got to make it happen, if we're living life as though we're sovereign, that our will must be done, James calls that evil. It's right there in the text. So there's two ways of living life. One is, and these are our two points, one is to think about life as my will be done, and the second way of living is thy will be done. My will be done, or thy will be done. Thy, that's kind of a you know, King James way of your God. God's will be done. Just clarifying for those of you who don't know King James English. Anyway, read some Shakespeare. It'll do you good. Anyway, uh, my will be done. This is the sin of presumptuousness. A wrong understanding of ourselves in relation to our own lives and ambitions. Presuming that life will go the way we want or thinking or feeling the constant pressure that I have to make life determine my life, my future. It's all on me. It's the sin of presumptuousness. Um, and it, it, can, it can manifest in different ways. One way is to think of how we think of time. Time, time, time is on my side. Yes, it is. Oh, it's not, actually. Um, that, that's, that lyric is all wrong. It's not. It's not on your side. Uh, living as though time is on our side at our disposal. That it's mine. Um, <clears throat> you know, anybody in here suffer with procrastination? Some of you are waiting to raise your hand uh, because you're... I'll get to that later. But that's a joke. Um, But if you suffer with procrastination, um, suffer from it, uh, it's like a... Well, it's a sin. You know, you do it or you don't do it. Um, That's what procrastination is. Uh, It's the thinking of there's no time like tomorrow. All right, that's really the motto of the procrastinator. There's no time like tomorrow. And you think that, well, there's always going to be time to do the needful things, the urgent things, the important things. I can just do what I want to now. Sometimes procrastination comes out of a laziness or just a selfishness. Sometimes procrastination can flow out of the opposite, of something being so important. It's, you know, why am I not doing the paper that's due tomorrow? Well, it's so, I feel like it's so important that my whole life hinges on it that I can't make myself do that thing, right? So, you know, again, but it's, again, an un, a unhealthy, sinful way of thinking about time. Right? So, uh, uh, we, we do that. We, we find ourselves doing that. It's a very natural thing to do in our sinfulness. Um, 
finding rest in the present because of what I will do in the future. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever done that? you ever, you know, again, I'm going to write down the things I'm going to do tomorrow. Now I feel good about just not doing anything right now. I, I've done it. I've done it. Um, and so that's, that's the sin of presumptuousness, of thinking there will always be time, and that time is mine to do, to do with it as I will. He says that clearly in the text, you know. It's, a, it's an odd thing, you know. It's like, is he really getting on to somebody for having a business trip? <laughs> Come on now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. You know, but what that is, it's like, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'm going to go do this thing and it'll, it'll happen and I'm going to decide what, what, I, you know, what I do and when I do it. And, um, you know, it's all on me. So, the sin of presumptuous affects how we think about our time. This also um, can, be, can be present in how we think about God's resources and how God provides. We think about it in the sense of that it's totally up to me to provide for myself. Um, I wrote down here, time, time, time is on my side, followed by show me the money. Uh, some of us live like that. It's all about pursuing the dollar. Uh, it's all about what I can, what I can make, what I, you know, uh, what I can, the job I'm going to get, and the things I'm going to do, and and live as though success and your future is solely tied to your work making the money, your work making things happen uh, in your vocation, living as though personal ability and profit um, were the were the sole motives of your life. Is the only issue to take into account. I would come. Up, I would find this uh, a lot with when I was doing college ministry. I'd say, "What What do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do? What's your What's your major?" And they would say, "Well, I want to I want to go into business. Well, I want to make money. Well, what kind of business? I don't know. I just want to make a lot of money. Uh, where you going? I'm gonna practice law. Why? Because I heard lawyers make a lot of money. And you're like, Are you? Are you? What kind of grades you making? Ah, uh, not real good. You gonna make it in law school? Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, think. But again, the sole motive being money, and he's talking about someone who's again taking advantage of taking for granted the time, but also just going. You know, uh, life is about success. Is about the job, the paycheck, the raise, the promotion. Again easy to think about life in those terms and boil it down just to that. Um, but, you know, the Lord helped me, Lord helped me a lot realize and helped me die to this, this idea that, man, it was all on me to provide for my family. Does anybody, any of the men, women in here who work feel like sometimes that it just, it's all on you to come through. That, that it's just this weight that I have to figure this out on my own. I tell you, one of the best things that's happened to me is doing RUF for nine years. It was wonderful to do college ministry and be with students and share the gospel. It was also wonderful for God. He showed me what it meant to really rely on Him for our need. 
Um, here's, here's the life of a campus minister. You do fun things, you go play ultimate frisbee, you go to campus and eat with people, but also what you're doing is you're raising money and you are calling people, you're sending out emails, you're sending out newsletters, and you are hoping and you, you get a report every month of what your account looks like. So I'm like looking at my kids and they need shoes and I'm looking at my report coming in and oh, is it going to be enough to pay the check? And, and sometimes it would be dwindling down and I'm like, well, I've done all the things. What else do I have to do? And then out of nowhere, somebody that I never contacted, never done any work, you know, never did the, you know, made the ask and, and pursued, sent $10,000 for RUF at JSU. That happened. And, I, and it happened again and again where all the places I was working and I felt like, okay, I got to do it. Well, I got to do it. I got to do it. I got to figure it out. I got to make the money. I got to provide for the family. And then in the areas where I didn't do the work, God said, here, through a brother or sister in Christ, would just give generously out of, seemingly out of nowhere. But you know what? God was working that. God was doing that. And so, again, this idea, this presumptuousness of I've got to figure this out, that it's all about the money. But what I've realized and what God has shown me through that experience, and I hope you learn from that, God will provide for you. Okay? It's not all about you. It's not all about, life isn't all about making money, and it's not all on you to provide. God will provide. Um, another way of living my, in a, a way that's my will be done we can think of it in how we use our time, how we think about money, but also <clears throat> how we think about our own life and our plans for our life. I don't care what you say anymore. This is my life. Billy Joel, there you go. A um, little reference there. Uh, again, we think that. Sometimes we live that way. Living as though we have the ability to control the events and details of our lives. You know, almost every movie we watch kind of gets at this, you know? You know, what's, just, you know, follow your dreams and all your dreams will come true. Does that ring true? It's good for our Disney movie, right? But it's not really, it doesn't always happen. Um, uh, you just have to figure out who you are and do it. Um, uh, there's this uh, movie that came out a while ago, Invictus, about Nelson Mandela. And, uh, and it's a story of how uh, South Africa, after apartheid was dismantled, how they came together around uh, hosting the World Cup, um, rug the rugby game. And anyway, it's a, it's a good movie. But the thing that gets said, uh, it's a kind of the, the theme of the movie, is this quote from Ernest Hemingway. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That sounds kind of inspiring, doesn't it? But it's not true. <laughs> it's not true in the slightest bit. I am not, and you are not, the master of your fate or the captain of your soul. And the answer to that is praise God. Right? But again, you know, we think about presumptuousness and the sin here present in, in this described in this passage as being I can do it. I can make the money. I'm, I'm sovereign over my time. I'm sovereign over my future. And you go, that, 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 that arrogance, that pridefulness, that's very apparent. You see that and go, that's obviously sin. That's pride. But it's also manifested in great anxiety 
and being weighed down all the time by the thought of, I have to figure out what to do with my time. I have to make all the money. I have to provide. I have to determine my fate. You see how it can look, that sin can look two ways. It can look puffed up and I'm doing it, I'm living it, I got it. Or it can look like someone who's constantly weighed down, anxious, worried, scared. My will be done. The It's the prideful person that's living in the delusion, right? I've got it. I've got it all figured out. I did all this. I'm in control. I've got this job. I deserve all this. But if it really is all on you, the person that's really anxious and scared, they're living in the reality. If that's the true reality, then that is an awful place to be. They're both wrong. He's saying here, don't, don't be presumptuous about God, about provision, about making money, about using your time, about you being in control of your life. That's not how God calls us to live. We're not to live in a way where we're thinking, my will be done. Instead, Second point, we need to live in a way that says, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Instead, you ought to say, verse 15, it says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So, how do you fight against presumptuousness? You need to remember some things. Remember one, remember your ignorance. Grant just called us all ignorant. <laughs> well, you are, and I am too. There are things we can't know. We do not even know what will happen in the next 24 hours. None of us do. Not, nobody does. I don't know what's going to happen in the next hour, really. I have plans for the day, but I don't really know. And neither do you. That's okay. You know, I, I've, I jokingly, I, I, I watch when I'm trying to just relax, I watch sports, you know, ESPN, and it amazes me how they'll talk and talk and talk all week about a game on Saturday or Sunday, and then they're all completely wrong. They don't lose their jobs, and then they start talking about it the very next week, like they got it right. But more than half of the things they said didn't happen. And they just keep talking about it as though they know what's going to happen in the game. And I'm watching it. I'm, full, I'm, like, I'm watching it and go, yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. Sometimes they lose their jobs. Like if you ever watch Danny Cannell, he was never right. He finally got kicked off ESPN. Anyway, um, Joey Galloway too. But anyway, if you've watched them for the last 10 years, you know. They're not on there anymore. And I'm, it's good. They didn't need to be. But they were really bad at that. Anyway, uh, but we really don't know. We like to think we know what's going to happen in a game. Think we know what's going to happen tomorrow. Think, but we really just don't know. And that's okay. Remember that. You really don't no, we have a plan, I have my Google Calendar, I have intentions, but I don't know, and neither do you. Remember your frailty. Look what he says, it's like you're, we are like a mist. This life doesn't last. Our intentions, our presence bodily here in this world aren't forever. You know? It's not, it's not 
we don't know, we don't have control even over our lifespan. We can run and eat well and do the right things, but we don't. That's not up to us. Psalm 90, 10 through 12 says the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Matthew six twenty seven. It says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? We're, we're frail. We're missed. And thirdly, you have to remember not only your ignorance and your frailty, but your dependence. Your dependence. Again, this seems so weird, it seems so strange, but to grow in grace, to grow as a Christian, is not to become more independent. And there's a sense in which we mature as people. We want our teenagers to become more self-sufficient. We want them to, to want to work and want to you know, either get a job or go to college and, and succeed and work. And you know, Yeah, there's a sense of independence we want you to have as you mature, but to become a Christian is to become more and more and more dependent to grow as a Christian is to become more dependent on God. He's in charge. His will is what is done. It's, his will is always done. His alone. You and I are made to depend on our Creator and our Redeemer. We don't know everything. We're not in control of our lives, of our health. We are made to be dependent. That's one way we fight against presumptuousness, remembering these things. So some of you are sitting there going, so great, I've got no control, no way of knowing what comes next. How am I supposed to sleep at night now? How do I rest when there's nothing that I have control over? Let's remember Genesis 50. Genesis 50, verse 19. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He's speaking to his brothers here, who sold him into slavery. He says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God is always at work. And as I've looked at this passage, I've thought about it. You know, sometimes we, we put this, this varnish, this shine on people in the Bible, especially Joseph and, you know, and Abraham and Moses and those people. Because we, we kind of just see, we see some low points, but we don't see them day to day. When he was in slavery before he became in charge of Potiphar's house, do you think Joseph was just going, God's working all things to good? When he was in jail for 10 years, he was going, every day he woke up going, I can't wait to see what, what new thing God brings next. I seriously doubt it. I bet there were times of mourning, like homesick because he, he hadn't seen his family angry at God because he's a sinner and just like you and me 
There had to be days, many days, where looking at those cell walls, that God, where are you? But it's it's Genesis fifty where He comes through it all on the other side of it that He looks back and sees. Some of you think I'm not being a good Christian. I must not really trust the Lord because this is really hard and I can't see past the hurt. But remember, Joseph is seeing, he is past the hurt and looking back. Don't don't rebuke yourself. Don't, Don't put yourself down. Don't feel like you're not looking to the Lord when you honestly feel the hurt and the sadness of your current hard situation. It doesn't mean you're you're supposed to be happy about it. It means you're, you have hope, you have faith beyond what you can see, beyond what you feel, that God will deliver you. And if you've li- been in Christ long enough, there's already times you can look back. There's already, already these Ebenezer stones where you can look back and go, that was really hard, but I can see what God did through it. I, I can see it. And that gives you, that helps you to develop, through suffering, develop character, endurance, and hope that the Lord will continue to be faithful. God is always at work, and Joseph sees that. He sees it on the other side. You have to trust, and I'll remember that God is at work. This is, by the way, how you sleep at night, how you get through the day. Remember that God is always at work, but also trust that God's way is better than your way. That's hard, isn't it? hard you know I think I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty good administrator I'm pretty good I, I can kind of see the situation and kind of think about people and how things are moving and I can come up with a plan and, and you know what from my limited vision my plan seems really good but you know what I can't see everything my plan usually just involves the church or my family or me and how is it going to work out for us that, that's it God's ways are better than my ways. God's ways are better than your ways. Remember what he says in in James chapter 1. What are God's goals for you? Let's review. Look back, James 1 verse 4. He says, "Let Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What is God's goal for you? That you're perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Also, James 12, his goal is that you receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Also, in James 1, he says that we are to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That is God's purpose for you, his child. That you are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That you receive the crown of life and you would be the first fruits of his creatures. The first fruits of the resurrection. If that's God's goal and God always does and accomplishes what he says he's going to do. What can be better than that? And the thing is he's going to do whatever is necessary. He is going to conform you and me to the image of Christ and see us all the way home by whatever means necessary. But that's his purpose. That's his goal. That's what he is doing in your life and mine.
sounds good, Grant. But it's still really hard. There are some of you, you're thinking, okay, I, I can look back and see where he's working in some things in my life. And, but some of you are looking back and going, I still don't know why that awful thing happened. I still don't get it, God. Why is this happening? Why did this happen? And I'm totally ripping this off from uh, Sinclair Ferguson. He's a good person to steal from if you're preaching. Um, he preached a sermon on Genesis 50 that's just, you know, there's some sermons that just so shape a text. Like I can't think about that text without thinking of the sermon. By the way, I'm going to get this out to you. There was a great sermon preached at GA by Elbert McGowan. I'm going to get the audio out to you all this week. Um, really well done. And Anyway, so I'll get back to the text here. But uh, what did he say? How do, we, how do we deal with, how do we think about this? Things we still haven't reconciled. We can't see the good that's come out of it. We have to remember again that God is working on a grand scale. That God is always working, working all things to good for, and for His glory, but He's always working in a variety of circumstances. He is working out every detail of every moment and every person's life all at once, all the time. And your life and my life is just a little part of that tapestry. It doesn't mean your life's not important, mine's not important, but... He loves me and knows me individually and specifically. He knows and loves you individually and specifically, but He's working your life, the circumstances of your life, along with the person sitting to your right and the person sitting to the left and then the person over there and the person over... Like, He's working all of it all the time. And so sometimes we go through things, and the Scriptures talk about this, we go through hard things and, and struggle so that others see us enduring and looking to the Lord. Sometimes your hardship, your struggle, is for the benefit of a brother and sister in Christ. Or you're brought into a hard circumstance that's really going to, you're really, it's really going to weigh on you, but you're actually getting to love someone else through a hard thing. It adversely affects your life, but it's a blessing to their life. He's working in a variety of circumstances. He's working in a variety of people. Thirdly, He's working out a variety of goals. God's working in my life, shaping my life, and forming me into the image of Christ in a certain way, helping me die to particular sins. And He's doing, He's got different goals for your life. And for the person next to you. And the person you work with. God is always working in a variety of circumstances, in a variety of people, in a variety without working out a variety of goals, and then, fourthly, because His passion is to set forth Christ as the only Savior. We are to live realizing it's not about our will, not about how we use our time, how we make our money, how we, the, the, the path we determine for our lives, we live in submission to the Lord and trust Him, trust Him that He is working for our good, His glory, and the good of those around us. 
How does resting in God's will change your life? Well, one, if you can come to a point through God's grace to be able to go, you know what, I, I'm going to let go, not, you know, not be irresponsible, not just let go and let God. I'm going to live life with intention, do the things He's given me to do today, and trust Him with the rest. If we can live that way and trust Him, then what it does is it eliminates passivity. It, you would think that to, to kind of just trust the Lord, you're always kind of waiting and hoping God's going to give you a sign. No, that's not what I'm talking about. It, if you really trust in the Lord, it doesn't make you passive, it makes you more active. God is not saying, sit back and wait for an answer. He's saying, get after it. He's saying, don't put off what I've given you to do today. But again, so often, I put off what I need to do today because I'm worried about tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next year. But if I can just go, you know what? God's got that. I can just be free to love and serve the people before me today. It makes us... It eliminates passivity, makes us active, looking for ways we can serve and help one another, looking for ways we can glorify God, because He holds our future. We don't. It helps to eliminate anxiety and fear. There is not just this one thing that will fix your life. And that is, that is such... We cling to that lie all the time, don't we? You ever assess your life and go... If I just had that, if I just had the job, if I just had the promotion, if I just had this spouse, if my kid just did this, my kid just would stop doing that. <laughs> if my if my retire, if my if my investments would go up a few points today, you know what? What? Do, there's so many times we just kind of boil down satisfaction and peace and joy in life by if I could just have this one thing. And here's the thing: there isn't just one thing that will fix your life. And you can't do it. But God has you. If you stop worrying and seeking that one thing, trying to find the silver bullet that's going to eliminate all your problems, you just go, I'm going to trust the Lord that He has me here. And He's loving me through it. We can live with boldness and courage more and more. And also, finally, it encourages you in the midst of hardship and failure. If, you are, if, you're, if you're trusting God's will for your life more and more, then you can handle rejection. Things that go your way don't end up going to your head. And when they don't, they don't end up devastating you. God is at work in all these things in your life. If you knew the end and it was good... You can enjoy the ride. And that's really it. You and I know the end. We know God's purposes. Even just set forth in this book that we'd be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If I know the end and I trust God with that, that He will see me through, then I can just enjoy the ride. And you can just enjoy the ride knowing that He is behind the wheel. Are you guilty of this? I am. I think we all are. The sin of presumptuousness, this feeling of that, I, that we have to have control or the delusion that we are in control. What do we do with that? Well, let's 
go back just a few verses up. What do we do? How do we, how do we, how do we begin to remember these things and to live a life of, I want to just rest in the Lord and trust Him with my life and with my resources, with my time. How do I do that? And you, Right now, if you're feeling guilty and convicted, go back to verse 6. Remember this. He gives more grace. He gives more grace. He says in verse 7, Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil. Lord God, your word is true. My intentions are not. My thoughts, I'm broken. I have sinful passions. The world is, is telling, selling me lies. The devil is real. But if I, can, if I can submit to the Lord, I can resist the devil. Those aren't two different things, by the way. Submitting to the Lord is resisting the devil. Going, okay, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm not going to trust the ways of, this, of the world. Recognize that it's by grace you have been saved, not your works. Draw near to Him. Submit to Him. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. And in verse 9 it says, Be wretched, mourn, and weep. Let your, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. It is appropriate here. And that's what James is trying to do. He's going, Christian, recognize, recognize how hard this battle is. Recognize that your relationships are affected by your sin and the way you think about your life and your time, your circumstances... It's affected by your sin. And we need to own that. That sin touches everything. We need to mourn it. We need to grieve over it. And then humbly come before God in our sinfulness. Knowing what? In verse 10. He will exalt you. That's what repentance is. And all these areas we're about to talk about. And looking to our riches, and presuming upon our, uh, our control and influence of our own lives, of, of speaking ill against one another. All these areas where our sin is so present, we mourn, we weep, and we recognize there's more grace, and we trust God to exalt us. John Newton, we read this, this reflection at the beginning of the service, and I want to end with, I just read half of this quote, um, the other half goes this way. He says, Hide yourself under the shadow of His wings. Rely upon His care and power. Look upon Him as a physician who has graciously undertaken to heal your soul of the worst of sickness. Yield to His prescriptions and fight against every thought that would represent it as desirable to be permitted to choose for yourself. When you cannot see your way, be satisfied that He is your leader. When your spirit is overwhelmed within you, He knows your path. He will not leave you to sink. He has appointed seasons of refreshment, and you shall find He does not forget you. Above all, keep close to the throne of grace. That is His will for you and me. Let's pray. Gracious God, we all fall short here, boasting about tomorrow, being anxious about tomorrow, thinking that life hinges upon our efforts and our judgments and our, our intellect. But Lord, we give you thanks that it is we live life according to your will. We pray that your will would be done 
And we thank you that it was your will, your purpose to redeem sinners like us, to conform us into your image, to re, through um, the refiner's fire, to remove the dross and to draw us closer to you and make us more into your image, Lord. We pray that now these elements we're about to partake of, this bread and the fruit of the vine, that they would further... Um, um, convince us and remind us of, of these truths that you are our God you invite us to, and you give us yourself you provide a way nothing in our hands we bring simply to thy cross we cling Lord God we come and receive and rest in you uh, in worship and in taking of the sacrament bless our time in this meal in Jesus name Amen